Well, greetings to everyone in the precious name of Jesus. What a change one week can bring. I had considered for a brief time to uh, preach a message on just having our hearts prepared for the unexpected. But uh, that's not really where I have chosen to go. Um, But it is true nevertheless, and as life goes on, we're faced with unexpected things, changes, things that take a very different course than what we had anticipated. And uh, we need grace for those things and uh, need to walk through them. I also want to extend a welcome to Jonathan and the family. As one of the things I had to even reflect this morning on uh, Brother Harold Hur wrote a book, Expect the Unexpected in regard to his experiences in Haiti. But it happens here too. The unexpected happens. And uh, we need grace to go through those things and to find our way. And uh, yes, strength for the journey. Well, that wasn't uh, my topic really. I'd... uh, I have a message this morning from the text in Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse 15, that passage that tells us what to do when a brother trespasses against us. So that will be our text this morning, Matthew 18, verse 15 through Well, maybe for the first uh, part here, we'll just read through verse 17. So let's read our text here, Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church." But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, these few verses actually quite often take the preeminent spot in this chapter because it's often referred to as the Matthew 18 method or procedure, how to handle problems, and it's certainly not the only thing in Matthew chapter 18. There's quite a bit more in that chapter, but we are going to focus on that this morning. Now, 
I will say up front, this is not a comfortable message to speak on. And I dare say it's not a comfortable message to listen to. Because it's one of the... um, When life gets difficult, we might say. It's not a feel-good topic because... There are a lot of feelings that go with a situation like this. And if, uh, if a situation like this takes place in our church setting here as it ought to, then the reality is that this morning there's some on both sides. There's ones who ought to be talking and there's ones who should be talked to both sitting here taking in the message. Is that fair enough? Now if I can make you at all comfortable, I, I will hasten to say that I'm not preaching this because of a specific issue or incident that I think, you know, this is why you need to hear it. That's not really in my mind at all. But rather knowing that this is something we need to be taught and understand as we go through life because those situations will arise. And I'm not saying there aren't such issues even presently. It's just that I don't have any particular one in mind. Um, But let's understand as we go through this that at different times we may be on one side or the other. And probably all of us uh, will find ourselves uh, on either side in different cases and circumstances in life. Jesus here gave a clear teaching on how these things are to be handled. And it's certainly not the only passage in Scripture. We will refer to a few others. But I would like to just make this a bit of a study on what he is teaching us here. If we consider the setting or the context here of this passage, you will note that in the early part of the chapter... Jesus used a child as an example, setting him in the midst and saying, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. There he is talking about the inward attitudes and thoughts of our heart as to how it should be in the kingdom of God. We should be humble. And then he talks about how... um, Damage it is to offend a little one. Verse 6. Then in verse 7 he makes this comment. He says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. It's just kind of a general statement. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Now, 
if we consider this for ourselves personally, now the, the warning here, woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. We might even, if we want to humbly and honestly look at ourselves, we wonder how could it be that, that I would go through life without ever offending someone. You know, it, it is quite a, quite a warning here. And we should take to heart the fact that we may at some point cause offenses. That, uh, and if we look at all of Scripture, it's very clear that we should be earnest about not causing offense. That is a very uh, prominent teaching in Scripture. I believe it's in 2 Corinthians, talks about ministers not giving offense. Um, in James, when it gives uh, teaching on the tongue, it talks about uh, in many things we offend all, and we should not seek to be masters um, because we, we have a tendency to offend. And if any man keep his tongue... The same as a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. So let's remember that as we go through this passage. It is important not to be one who gives offense. And from the words of Jesus, it almost seems that it's inevitable that offenses come. But aside from... Considering our own selves to not give offense, this very passage here in verse 7 should also help us to realize that others may offend us or at least make us feel bad. Now, maybe I should clarify that this word offenses here has, has the concept of turning away from the truth. It's something a little more serious than just I made you feel bad, or you made me feel bad, it's actually causing people to stumble and turn away from the truth. Um, and that I think the Lord can deliver us from. We don't have to offend in turning people away from the truth. It just means that we need to walk carefully and circumspectly and, and humbly that we not cause other people to turn away from the truth. But also realize that things are done. Other people will do things that may hurt us and, and actually be a trespass against us. Further in context here, verse 10, he gives the parable of the lost sheep. The attitude of the Son of Man wanting to seek and save that which is lost, not willing that any should perish. And then in verse 15, he goes into this matter about trespasses. And then after this passage, uh, of course, immediately after he talks about what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. We're not going to spend much time on that. And following that, then he gives clear teaching on the matter of forgiveness. Peter asked him, How often shall my brother sin against me, 
It seems a bit of a follow-up from his teaching there in verse 15 about trespasses. When Jesus says um, that 70 times 7, we should be willing to forgive. And then he goes into that parable of how one was forgiven much and, and then he went out with an attitude of vengeance against one who owed him a little. So in comparison, we have here in verse 15, if thy brother trespass against thee, and then in the passage about forgiving is more of our attitude toward others when they they owe us something. So the two do go together, and we should remember that. In verse 15, 16, and 17, the focus is primarily on what we as a person who has been trespassed against, meaning someone has done something against us, we should go to them, tell him his fault between thee and him alone, and if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. First step. And the hope and desire is that it come to a good end. If, if everything is, goes as it should, thou hast gained thy brother. The matter is settled. But if it doesn't, it becomes a bigger issue. And then you take one or two with thee. And then if they neglect to hear the two or three, then the matter is taken to the church. And eventually... If he will not hear, it would seem as we would think of it as being put out of the church or let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. You no longer fellowship with him. That's a very uh, difficult situation, one that's very uh, difficult for us emotionally. And it's, uh, it's a serious matter. And that puts this whole teaching in a in a rather serious place. And as I said at the beginning, one that's not necessarily comfortable to listen or consider or think about because it's some of the messier things of life, as we might say. I'd like to, in our study here, give some attention to exactly what it means here to go and tell him his fault. It's interesting study, that uh, phrase there, go and tell his fault, if we skip the pronoun there, him, which is a different word, but the go and tell his fault, that is actually translated from one Greek word. Um, It's... uh, I believe it's 1651 in the Greek, uh, yeah, in the Greek dictionary, Strong's Greek dictionary. Uh, Elancho, I believe, is how it's pronounced in the Greek. And we're going to look at several other passages in Scripture where that word is used and translated. But in this passage, 
it has been translated that one Greek word, elencho, is tell him his fault. And it's interesting that in this passage we have the clearest literal description of what that word means. It literally means go and tell him his fault with the idea of convincing him of it. It's more than just hurling an accusation or telling him what he did wrong. It has the thought to convince him of his of his wrong. If I would read from my dictionary here. They describe it as to reprove with conviction upon the offender. Reprove with conviction upon the offender. And a very literal rendering of that is tell him his fault. And I have, over the years, uh, I have, and you probably also have heard people saying, well, I you know, I know they're doing something wrong, but um, and maybe it's even against me. But I'll just I'll just pray that the Holy Ghost would convince them of it, and I won't I won't tell him. Well, that's not really in accordance with the Scripture here. The the, the admonition is to tell him his fault. Now let's look at several other passages. Uh, The first one is in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 19. This is John the Baptist. Let's read verse 18. Actually, it says, And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him, and that word reproved is taken from that Greek word elencho, reproved. John told Herod his fault. Very literally, he reproved him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. And we know there was conviction that went with it because Herod's wife, or his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, she was angry. She was upset. It did not go over well. We could say, it didn't work. Yes, it did work. She was convicted and she was angry because of it. But she realized that she was, her sin was clearly laid out. Herod also realized that. He would have sought to kill John, but he feared to do so because of the people, because they regarded him as a prophet. But just consider... The use of that word reprove there, elencho, he made clear to Herod what his error was. And, and Herod understood very clearly his sin. It was wrong for him to have his brother's wife, and it says in this passage, for all the evils which Herod had done. 
think he just made it, made it clear to Herod where his sins were. Okay, let's, uh, let's go now to Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 11, Ephesians 5, 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The word reprove, elencho. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved, same word again, elential, reproved, are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Now that's, again, that word reproved, rather reprove them, to make clear, tell them their fault. And in verse 13, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. And there's that sense of conviction that goes with it. Now this is an action word, this reprove, tell him his fault. There's another form of that word, which is simply the noun form, and we find that in several passages. Let's look at the first one in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. There's the noun form of that word. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There, it's that reproof is the idea there of, while it is the noun form, the idea of telling him his fault, the reproof there. The Word of God is effective to convince, to, to point out the error, and to bring conviction with it. That's the idea here. And then there is one more, and that is in Hebrews chapter 11. And there in verse 1 it's translated evidence. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word evidence there has primarily the thought of conviction. You are convinced of the evidence of things not seen. That is faith, being convinced that it is so. And so... In this noun form of the word here in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the emphasis is especially on the idea of a convincing, a conviction. You could even use the word conviction. It's a conviction. I'm, I'm convinced of it. So now we go back to our text in Matthew 18. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. So, again, to just reemphasize, the thought here is a telling him, explaining, making plain 
and fairly direct and bring conviction with it. The Word of God is effective for that. It's profitable for that convincing, that telling him his fault. Um, Thinking back to John's example there in talking to Herod, John said, it is not lawful. He made reference to the law. He pointed out to Herod that he was transgressing the law. It wasn't just John's idea. It was the fact that Herod was transgressing God's law. And he was convincing Herod of that. And very possibly he may have quoted some passages of Scripture. It does not say so, but, but he clearly he said it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, as you consider this, you might think, how's that possible? I mean, I wish they were convinced. I hope they might be. But for me to persuade them that they're wrong, you know, and we just, we're not sure. Because what if they won't hear me? That's probably our first fear. They won't believe me. They're going to try and brush it off. They're going to, they're going to give some excuse. You know, you know, you know all the all the situations that could arise. But let me just make clear here that as we sit here as brethren and we know that we're on both sides. Sooner or later, we'll probably find ourselves on one side or the other and and we'll experience both. So when we go, we need, as the person who's going, if you have been offended against, you go, it's important for you to take with you a humility of mind, and we could bring in a few other scriptures, such as Galatians chapter 6, where it says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So the person going, you, go to your brother. You're in your mind. You're prepared to explain to him what his error is. Not just beat around the bush. Not just hint at it. and But making it plain. But you do so in a spirit of humility. I believe considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, it's not a railing against him. The intent is to convince him. Now just put yourself on the other side for a minute. If you're the one who's being talked to, you have offended, you've committed a transgression against a brother, how would you want them to come to you? You want them to come with a belligerent, lecturing attitude? You should have known better. Well, no, we 
That wouldn't feel good. Well, then we should go as we ourselves would want to be treated. We go with a sense of humility, of of, uh, gentleness, and yet, and and I'm trying to emphasize this, we need to go prepared to be honest and true to the facts and to the Scripture and be willing to explain what their error is. And if we're unable to really do that, then maybe we should reconsider whether, hey, we need more homework done before, or maybe it's an issue that's small enough that it needn't be brought up. I think there are those where love covers a multitude of sins, and how I understand that is that there are certain transgressions and things not of a serious nature, but the kind of things that irritate us and maybe weren't the most well thought out or kind action toward us, we can, we can overlook some of those. We don't have to go and, you know, thump them with every transgression. But when there is a clear violation of Scripture, of the principles of brotherly, Kindness, we need to go with a mindset that we can explain. We will attempt to clearly tell them where the fault is. I personally think that might be one of the hardest things to do, but one that we need to be willing to to do. Um, And remember that the whole picture here. The whole point of this is not for alienation and strife. It's for restoration, for gaining your brother, for remedying the situation. And I think if we go with that mind of humility, we can make a lot of progress because that should be discernible and felt by those you come to. Then it says, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And we're, I believe this is talking about a situation that is a clear violation of the word of God, one that we could explain and, and point to a scripture that says, you know, this is not what is right in the sight of God. And I feel you have done this against me. And I'm just, you know, I'm being honest. Um, now, Let's think about, okay, this, this passage focuses specifically on when someone has transgressed against you personally. That means that you are the one who should go to them. It's not your brother's responsibility to go, it's your responsibility to go. They've transgressed against you. That's very clear. That's the primary teaching here. 
Now, what about a situation where you feel, brother, sister, and I'm, I'm using brother here primarily, but it applies to sisters as well. You feel they have transgressed something of the Word of God. They're doing something they ought not to. But it wasn't against you directly. In other words, you just observed it. It was no, they didn't do anything against you personally, but you see the transgression. Now, we do need in such a case to bring in other scriptures because this one isn't addressing that in particular. But I would like to say also that even in such a case, this can give us some guidance in how these things are to be approached. Especially, it gives a sequence. Let's take the issue of a brother uh, in Galatians chapter 6, a brother who has transgressed. It says, Ye which are spiritual. Doesn't in that case, it's not talking about one necessarily who had a direct offense, like this passage. But if we are to be our brother's keeper, then when we see them transgress, we should go to them in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. And that would speak more to just a general uh, time you may have observed somebody to do something that you think is not in accord with the Word of God. It's a violation of Scripture. And then the question is, so whose responsibility is it to go and talk to this brother about this thing? I don't want to go. You know, why don't you go? (laughs) You know how those things work. Well, we should consider that it says, ye which are spiritual. And I think we need to be a little more ready to do that than our flesh would want to. And if we do it in love, and remember this is the motivating uh, purpose, We don't want our brother to fail. We don't want our brother to go the wrong way. And if we care for our brother and are responsible for our brother being our brother's keeper, then we need to be willing to also go when we see them err or when we have concern. And the scripture is very clear about the kind of attitude we go with. It's not one of a lecturing, getting even, um, putting them down. It's rather going with a spirit of desire to restore, desire to help, desire to see them make it, and even expressing our our compassion and and the desire uh, for that. I don't think it needs to be necessarily in a completely apologetic, you know, I'm sorry to have to bring this to you, or I, you know, I think we need to 
have some Holy Spirit boldness and all humility going and just being willing to talk about the issue. And as I said, that's not comfortable for us. It just isn't. And that's why this whole message is not one that's just a feel-good message. It's one that touches an area that we all have feelings about, whether we're the one talked to or the one who's going. We, we have feelings that we have to deal with. And um, we need to go armed, I think, with love, with consideration and compassion for their situation. I think we need to go with some willingness to, to, shall I say, hear the other side and perhaps consider things we hadn't known or, you know, we maybe don't have the whole story and we should go with a bit of humility of mind to recognize that could be the case. There is one area that I have heard, again, just in general, not necessarily so much here, but um, I thought it good to mention one area where this Matthew 18 situation does not directly apply, and, and yes, it's misapplied, and that is there have been writers, and this particularly what I'm thinking of, people who have written books and promoted doctrines that are not biblical. And then there's others who point out that doctrine in a public way. They write an article or give some uh, public uh, reproof for this error. And then there's others who want to defend the original writer and his doctrine or whatever, and they will quote this Matthew 18. Well, you spoke publicly here. Have you gone directly to this one and and pointed out his fault. Well, that, I believe, is a misapplication of Matthew 18. Matthew 18 refers to a brother-to-brother, and while we may say, well, this this man is supposedly a Christian, but the, the stark difference there is that If a man writes a book and has disseminated publicly his doctrine, his teaching, it can also be refuted and corrected and called out publicly. And it doesn't, you don't have to go to that brother directly to point out his error. Now, it might be, if you actually knew him well and knew him personally, then there might be a time when it's appropriate. But if it's just somebody who has written or taught, preached, whatever it be, in a public way, certain things, doctrines, we can point them out and need to point them out as error in many cases without going through this, what we call the Matthew 18 process. There are a number of examples in Scripture. There was a time when Peter was dissembling with some of the other apostles. And when Paul came on the scene, he rebuked him. And I believe it uses the term, he withstood him to the face. 
this was happening in a public way. Paul didn't take Peter aside and talk to him privately in that case. It would appear from Scripture that he he brought the subject out publicly because it was happening openly and it was being done, affecting a number of people, and Paul just simply pointed out the error. And, and in another place, uh, when Paul was talking about those who brought in false doctrines, um, he said, we, we didn't give them place, not even for an hour. It seemed like he just clearly pointed out the fault. It was a public thing. It was an open thing that they had been teaching wrong things, and he just straightly opposed them. I'd like to just make clear that such situations are not a Matthew 18:15 kind of situation. This specifically talks about if your brother trespasses against you, then you go to him first of all privately and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if the matter can be settled there, You've gained your brother, the matter is resolved, and, and restoration is had. So, Matthew 18 here is not just talking about a general open error or teaching such as false doctrine and that kind of thing. Uh, but back again to the the question of somebody transgresses, let's say this, we'll bring this down to our local setting here, a brother or sister transgresses, not, it's not necessarily against you and maybe not even particularly against a certain individual, but a transgression. How should that be handled? I believe there are some variations. There are times when this Matthew 18 process could be used in such a case where it says, again to the Galatians 6, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. If it's a matter that could be dealt with directly, you go to the individual, point out their error, Explain to them from the scripture why you have this concern and they can, they can repent and maybe make correction if it, if it affected other people as well and the matter can be resolved. That would technically be more of a Galatians chapter 6 kind of situation. You being one of the spiritual ones have gone to restore and it could have been done on a personal and private level. Um, there are other cases where you may, uh, if, it, if it's a matter that has affected a handful of people in the congregation, not necessarily against you directly, but just in a general way, there's an error that needs to be dealt with. I think there would be times when even several could go if it's known to several and 
Several have like concern. Um, it could be several that go at the first approach. I don't think that would be a violation of the scripture. Um, and I'm thinking here specifically of situations that are not against you personally. If you feel that your brother has trespassed against you directly, then you need to go personally and, and deal with it. I believe in, in the more general sense where the spiritual ones go to restore the one who's been overtaken in a fault. Um, like I said, it can take, it might be several that would go and the brother needs to be willing to hear and to be, and he has the right, I believe, to have it clearly explained to him. Not in a contentious way, but if, if it's unclear, if the brother is not convinced or the sister not convinced of their error, you have not fulfilled your full responsibility until you have attempted to persuade them from the scripture and the mouth of several witnesses you have at least attempted to persuade them of their error and to be willing to be clear enough, specific enough, pointed out from the scripture what the error is. We might say they have, the, the offended party has the right to hear a clear explanation of, of what was, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. The offending one the one who transgressed has the right to hear clearly what their wrong was and to be explained from Scripture. You would want that if you're the one who has transgressed or offended and you don't want just a accusation hurled at you. You want to know. You want to understand. You need to understand so that you can repent and be restored. And again, all of these scriptures clearly speak to a focus of restoration, all done in a spirit of humility, honesty, being willing to address the issues directly, attempting to persuade and convince them of their error. And then giving them opportunity to repent, to be restored in fellowship. To have the matter dealt with in a biblical way. I mentioned a bit ago about some variation in how the more general things, transgressions, are handled. Another example in, in Timothy where it talks about elders who have sinned. It says, them that sin rebuke before all. 
specifically referring to elders. Now, it doesn't say necessarily that you may not have gone to them personally, but I think in such a case, it's clear from the scripture that there is a time and place to publicly rebuke elders who have sinned. That's, that's Bible. And it's, uh, it's sad, of course, if that needs to be done, but the scripture is clear that especially an elder that sins should be rebuked before all. Maybe in closing, I would just make this appeal as we consider this scripture that I, I think we need to be more ready to do it than we have in the past. If I may just say that. I don't necessarily have specific instances in mind. I just know that our tendency is to shrink back from doing some of this as it ought to be done. And I think all of us struggle with those feelings. Because we know it's not comfortable, it's not comfortable for us, it's not comfortable for the one that we're going to. But I would say the scripture is also very clear that it needs to be done. Offenses will come. In many things we offend all. We need to guard our speech. We need to guard our actions, our attitudes, and all of that. But those things do come. And there is a biblical way to deal with them. And we need to be willing to take our part in caring for our brother willing to speak to them when the, when the occasion uh, calls for it. I think that's all I have on this. Lord bless you.